You know how you have songs on playlists that you like immediately skip whenever it comes to you because you've listened to it so many times? That song is on one of my worship playlists, and every time it comes up, I don't skip it. <laughs> uh, I, I love that song. I love that picture, that thought of Jesus being supreme over everything, and I have never once gotten tired of singing that song. <laughs> but good morning, loved ones. It's so great to see you all, and I'm so happy you chose to be here with us this morning. If you're a visitor, we would love to get to know you. If you have any questions about Fourth Avenue, we would love to get to know you and love your family, and thank you so much for being here. And I want to start with just a few announcements just a reminder that this is ongoing, that there's a life group sign up. We're trying to get a few of those started up because we want this to be a big part of our church culture. And we're going to have sign ups in the front and back here for you if you're interested. If you're not a part of a life group already and you want to be a part of one, that's going to be there in the front and back. And there was also a link sent out in the e-blast last week. And if you don't have access to that, we can uh, get you access to that link. And also, this Saturday, Leonard Allen is going to be coming here, and he's doing a seminar on the Holy Spirit. It's going to happen on 9 a.m., I believe, is the starting time, and it's going to go till about noon. And it's going to be really awesome to hear from him, and this is something you don't want to miss. So he'll be doing that, and he'll be preaching next week, and he's also doing class. So we're, we're getting all the mileage out of him we can, I guess. And the last thing is, as Gary mentioned, Witness is starting back up again this week, and we're going to be hearing stories from y'all about God and God's deliverance in your life, and they've been really powerful nights, so I encourage y'all to join us. That's going to be in the Connection classroom on Wednesdays at 6.30. So as I've mentioned before, I grew up in Kansas City, and one of the things that was normal for living in Kansas City was dealing with kind of harsh winters, at least in comparison to here someone hears from South Dakota, you're like, ha ha, yeah, right, buddy. Um, but we had to deal with snow all the time. We had to deal with defrosting and, you know, scraping our cars early in the morning. We had to deal with shoveling snow from the driveway and throwing out our backs. And we had to deal with driving in the snow, that sort of thing. And then whenever I moved to Arkansas for college, I noticed a very different cultural experience. For instance, my first semester... I remember the meteorologist says the first winter was rolling along, which is super mild, both here and in Arkansas. But they talked about how there was going to be potential for a wintry mix that might bring a little bit of ice. Okay? The meteorologist really said <laughs> to uh, everybody else that was listening, there's an apocalypse tomorrow. Everybody freak out. Get all the stuff from the grocery stores. Make sure your family's safe. At least that's how they interpreted it. Because whenever I walked into the grocery store, I would see a picture like this, where all of the bread, apart from like one moldy loaf, is gone. All of the milk is gone. All of the eggs, apart from a couple of cartons, gone. <laughs> and it, whenever I was experiencing this, I was like, what is going on? This is a wintry mix we're talking about. This is nothing. But since this wasn't something, I guess, that they were super used to, they freaked out. They panicked, and they acted out of fear to just grab as much as they can to provide some comfort in the darkest times of their lives. <laughs> but whenever our safety is threatened, isn't it common as humans to act out of fear? One of the things that's kind of funny to me whenever I reflect back on the early days of 
COVID, everybody lost their mind about toilet paper. Like everyone just hoarded it as much as they possibly could as if that is the most fundamental need as humans. <laughs> like, you know, whatever about canned goods and actually sustenance to live, I need toilet paper. But on a more serious note, perhaps we avoid parts of our city because it's considered the bad part of town. Perhaps we try to be as financially secure as we can so we can have contingency plan A through Z in case something bad happens. Perhaps we're afraid to share the inmost parts of our heart with other people because we're afraid they're gonna judge us and think differently about us. Fear has this special way of keeping us safe and comfortable. And I get it. I react out of fear a lot. All those things I said are wrestlings within my own heart. But whenever I'm wrestling with it, I think it does come from the desire that we have as human beings to feel security. I don't think anybody is just willing to willingly sign up and be like, yes, I want to be as insecure as possible. But in a little way, at least, signing up to make Jesus Lord of your life, there's going to be some issues of safety <laughs> because the way of Jesus isn't always safe. It can be dangerous. But what if I told you that the world kind of gets it backwards, at least in the most important way, that living dangerously for Jesus is actually one of the biggest comforts of your life. And on the flip side, living as comfortably as you can for yourself is one of the biggest dangers. If you would this morning, please turn with me to Acts chapter 28. This is our last sermon in the series, Church on Fire, on the book of Acts, and it kind of makes me sad because I love this book. I think there is so much here for us about the mission, and I've, I've loved seeing how the Holy Spirit has moved the mission of God along. And I want to close with the closing story because I think there's something that's truly powerful here at the end. And to set up the story, so Paul, he goes to Jerusalem, even though he's begged not to because it could be dangerous, but he's ready to die for his faith if he has to. And there he was the central figure in a riot breaking out in the temple, and that caused the Jewish authorities to get pretty frustrated with him. And then Paul went to Caesarea for trial after he found out that there was going to be a plot of 40 people to try to kill him and ambush him on the road. That's when you know you made some people mad. <laughs> but God protected him in the form of 200 soldiers with horses to make sure he got there safely. And then he stands trial before Felix and Festus, which are awesome twin names for boys, and they're biblical, so some of y'all are missing out here. No, just kidding, These, that's probably not great. It's kind of like Tryphena and Tryphosa in scripture, very interesting names together. But um, they ultimately appeal to Caesar, or he does, he appeals to Caesar so that way he can not go back to Jerusalem because he knows that it probably wouldn't look good for him there. So he's on his way to Rome, and he experiences a shipwreck. He gets bitten by a viper. People think he's a god. Just Tuesday for Paul. Which, again, just the, act, the book of Acts is just so wild, right? How many different stories there are of these dangerous encounters. But God brings people through it. So we're going to pick up this morning as he gets to Rome. And it says in verse 16 of chapter 28, When we got to Rome, and the we here, including Luke in this, Paul was allowed to live where he wanted to. But a soldier was always by his side to watch him. So Paul had his own little private residency, and he had a soldier watch him. And the custom was normally to have two Roman soldiers watch a prisoner. So 
That's kind of showing you how much of a threat the Roman Empire really saw Paul as, not much of one. And it says in verse 17, three days later, Paul asked the leaders of the Jews to come to him. And when they had gathered together, he said, brothers, I have done nothing against our people or the way our early fathers lived. And yet I was tied with chains in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. I was put on trial, but they found no reason to put me to death. They would have let me go free. But the Jews did not like this. So I had to ask to be sent to Caesar. It was not because I had anything against my people. The reason I have asked you to come is to tell you this. It is because of the hope of the Jewish nation that I am tied in these chains. There's several details here that scholars kind of compare the last few days of Jesus' life and and comparing the end of Acts and, and Paul's life. So there's the three days of being in Rome, similar to the three days that Jesus was dead and raised to life and then raised to life. Um, although I think the three days is a little bit more referring to how urgent Paul got on the mission as soon as he got to Rome. He didn't waste any time. He was calling in leaders to talk with them. But you can also see with the Roman government, there is a little bit of feeling of innocence towards both Jesus and Paul. But the Jewish people were not very, uh, they didn't feel very good about either Jesus or Paul. And they wanted them to die, basically. But and like Jesus having to deal with Pilate, Paul was appealing to Caesar. So there, there's some overlap and some comparison to be made here. And since it's likely that Paul was bound with chain and attached to this soldier, that he needed to start explaining why he was actually innocent. Because whenever these leaders of the synagogue come in, they see someone chained to a Roman official, it kind of screams criminal. <laughs> so he was having to sort of explain why this situation was the way that it was. And then it says in verse 21, bad about you. We would like to hear from you what you believe. As for this new religion, all we know is that everyone is talking against it. Perhaps Luke includes the detail of what he does in verse 21 about not hearing any bad word about Paul to explain why they'd be so quick to want to listen to someone who is bound in a chain. But that final line, I really love it. It says, as for this new religion... All we know is that everyone is talking against it. <laughs> so that may not be the best press you want, everybody talking against the movement, but I think at least a little bit, Paul had to experience a little bit of an endearing feeling. Because at this point, the gospel message is being talked about everywhere. Even if people don't like it, even if people have a problem with it, the impact of the kingdom of God is moving and moving and moving. And this makes me think about what we talked about whenever we were going through Acts 5. And remember the story of Gamaliel, who is a Jewish authority, and he's talking to a trial court of other Jewish authorities. And he's saying, hey, maybe you shouldn't kill these apostles, even though they may have been stirring up some controversy in the streets. You shouldn't kill these apostles because, like all of these other movements in the past, there have been different leaders of movements. Whenever they are killed, their followers sort of scatter once the leader's dead and the movement ends. And this is what he says in verse 38. I say to you now, stay away from these men and leave them alone. If this teaching and work is from men, it will come to nothing. If it is from God, you will not be able to stop it. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. So if this movement was of man, when Jesus died, the expectation would have been that this movement would end. It's over. 
There's no way it's going to keep gaining traction. But as we see at the end of Acts, in the capital city of the ancient world, it's being talked about everywhere. Even if it's in a negative light, it is still spreading and spreading and spreading. This is very clear that it was not a movement of man. And as we reflect on the whole book of Acts, we see just this, that nothing could stop the message of God. No matter the sickness or the physical harm or death, no matter the threats from governing authorities or abuses of their power, no matter the false accusations and gossip and trials and imprisonment that the apostles faced, no matter the lack of education and the poverty of the leaders of this movement, they were unschooled and ordinary men, no matter the enemies that they went against, the hard-heartedness and the legalism and the idolatry, no matter the language barriers or sorcerers or riots or coordinated assassinations or natural disasters or shipwrecks or snake bites, no matter what the schemes of the enemy was, no matter the forces of evil, nothing could stop the spread of the good news of Jesus everywhere because the power of Jesus is over everything. The church had everything going against it to stop this movement, everything but it had one all-powerful, all-loving God that was filling his people with his spirit to give them everything that they needed. And even how Acts ends, the very last verse in the book of Acts, verse 31, it says, this is Paul, he kept on preaching about the holy nation of God. He taught about the Lord Jesus Christ without fear. No one stopped him. It's a very interesting and somewhat open-ended way to end because we know that Luke would have known about how Paul died and Paul did die in Rome. But he chooses to end like this. And personally, I love the way it ends. He taught Christ without fear and no one stopped him. Though many tried, right? Though Paul experienced many different threats, but God, time and time and time again, brought deliverance, sometimes through being lowered through a basket, sometimes an earthquake opening up the cell of a prison. Sometimes it looked like Romans physically creating a hedge around him to get him to where he needs to go. The mission that Paul committed his life to could not be stopped. Craig Keener, who's a Christian scholar, he argues that Acts seems to be deliberately open-ended because the mission of chapter 1, verse 8 continues, which that is talking about the good news of Jesus spreading from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And as we know from today, there are people groups who still have not heard the gospel. And we know for sure that was the case way back then. So this mission of God continues, and the book ends as an open invitation for all of us who read to continue on the mission that has been established by Christ. And this is the message of Acts to live courageously for Christ by his spirit because God is unstoppable. We can believe the words of Joshua 1, be strong and courageous and do not be afraid for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. We can believe the words of Romans that if our God is for us, who can be against us? It's probably impossible if you have a physical Bible to open up a page in the book of Acts and find a single page that does not show God's deliverance of his people through some hardship or trial. Even if the world is against us, we have God with us, and therefore I like our chances. 
What can man do to stop the Lord Almighty? And knowing that our loving and our powerful God is with us, what does that mean for how we ought to live? That means that we can live with confidence, right? And whatever trial, whatever hardship lies before us, because we know God is with us. We can be bold in how we live and how we speak if we're walking in his spirit. And we can be unashamed of that boldness because we know that we're living for the greatest force for good. We can live dangerously for the kingdom. We can go against all human logic saying you should never go there or be with those kinds of people. But living in the way of Jesus is probably supposed to look dangerous to the average person. And was there ever a time in Jesus' ministry where he was not bold? where he was not ready to face whatever lied in front of him. And to be clear, I'm not saying that we should be intentionally reckless with the way that we live our lives and live in a way that could harm another person or that we should avoid using wisdom in certain situations and just go with the quickest option. That can be pretty terrible because there is such a way that you can live dangerously that actually hinders the kingdom message. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is living dangerously committed to Jesus and his way of love. Because loving your enemies and forgiving them and turning the other cheek, that looks dangerous to the world. Being generous with what you have and your time and your money, that looks dangerous to the world. Inviting in the foreigner into our community, perhaps even at our own expense, it looks dangerous. But the way of true love requires some courage and potentially stepping into what would be considered danger by the world. But whenever we're living for Jesus, we don't have to fear any danger. And this is something I'm growing in because I give in to fear a lot. And I'm sure many of us do today. And I know the world is wanting us to. The world tells you to be very afraid. Be fearful about the state of our nation. Be fearful about the state of our world. Be fearful about the next election. Be fearful about raising children in this society. Be fearful about our extinction as a species, right? There is so much fear in the news. There's so much fear in our world constantly. And I'm not saying we should ever be apathetic to that kind of stuff, but what can possibly threaten an unstoppable God? And I've said this before in a sermon, I've heard it from somebody else, so this is not original to me, but I don't think God's pacing the throne of heaven. I don't think God is nervous about what's going on next and what am I gonna do? How am I gonna work in this way? How am I gonna bring about my end? God's not nervous. He's not threatened by anything. Similarly, I don't think Jesus was ever threatened by another person in his life. He seemed like he was in control of every situation. I think we can live an unthreatened life because we have an unstoppable God. And if God is on our side and he is so close to us and that he is in us through his spirit, whom or what shall we fear? So church, let's live courageously for Jesus for the sake of the world because the world needs us to live courageously. Our world is scared. I mean, there is so much fear and uncertainty everywhere from every political angle, from the massive isolation epidemic in our culture, the increasing clinical anxiety, depression, and self-harm that's hindering our own community right here. There is a lot of fear, and I'm thankful that we're growing in awareness of these things because we've often, as a church, universal church, have not talked about it much. But people need a sense 
of deep belonging and purpose. People need a sense of security. And the deepest security only comes from God. And we get the opportunity to live courageously because of our hope in God. Because we know that no weapon that is formed against me will stand. I can face whatever is in front of me. And what's the most popular scripture in the Bible? Or most popular command, sorry. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. And why? Because we see time and time again through scripture. Stories of God's deliverance through some of the hardest times when it seems like there is no way forward, there's no path forward, God makes a way. He does that constantly. There is no scheme of the enemy, no sickness, no death that can stand in the way of God. So church, let's live confidently. Let's live dangerously, unashamedly, and boldly in the spirit for the sake of our neighbors who are looking for hope. It makes me think of this quote from C.T. Studd, who was a professional cricket player turned a missionary, and he gave up his whole family inheritance to be a missionary. He has this famous quote that says, Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Woo! That makes you want to run through a wall for Jesus, right? Within a yard of hell, just to be clear, that's not saying I'm going to flirt with hell or flirt with uh, sin so much that I'm just like getting closer and closer. No, that's not what that means. What that means is there being a commitment in our lives. Whenever people are in their darkest spots, when they feel like they have no hope, and they may look like a dangerous kind of people saying, I want to be a part of those people. I want to be with them. <laughs> That's what this is talking about. And we can look at this and sort of be puzzled, like what could possess someone to say something like that? Live within a yard of hell? Sounds dangerous. It is. It is dangerous. But living dangerously for Jesus can actually bring one of the greatest comforts. Because even though we may face a lot of scary threats for our lives, God's presence is the greatest security. To know the supernatural love of Jesus is what our souls have been craving and that's why whenever the apostles, this is, I still, this mindset is amazing. Whenever the apostles were first flogged for their faith in Jesus, they didn't go away feeling defeated and sad and crying about it. They rejoiced because it meant that they were walking like their rabbi. They were living like Jesus and they were united to him in their suffering. That's why even though whenever, as we follow Jesus, there might be a cross that we have to bear. And it's going to be hard. That's why Jesus can still with integrity say that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Because God's presence is the greatest security. Because in Jesus there is the greatest comfort. True comfort and security is not found through the world's solutions of having more and more and living as safe and as comfortable of a life as we can. It's found on the front lines living for the kingdom of God. So church, we can say and we can mean a quote like what we just read. We need the confidence and the faith in our unstoppable God to do so. So whatever hurdles or challenges or schemes of the enemy that get thrown at you in your personal life or us as Fourth Avenue, if we are seeking to walk in step with the Spirit of God and living boldly for his mission, there is nothing that can stop the movement of the kingdom. So this morning, I want to end with an invitation from God. 
I want to take some time and create space for God to speak into you something in your life that maybe you can live courageously for him about. So this morning, Lord, we pray that you open up our hearts. We need to live courageously for you. We need to live for your kingdom. And I pray that right now you speak into our life. What is one way that I can live boldly for your kingdom? What is one way, Lord, that we can follow your path? Even when it's hard, even when it's scary and detrimental. Lord, I pray that you open our hearts. Maybe it's a conversation that we've been avoiding having for a long time that we know we need to get to. Maybe it's the courage to share some of the dark parts of our heart and some of the sin that we've been dealing with, but we're afraid to do so. Maybe it's seeing a need in our community that we know we can be the answer for, and we've just been waiting for someone else to do it. Lord, help us be that answer. Lord, convict us this morning. Disturb us. Make us open to what you're doing in our community and in our church. Lord, help us walk your way, even when it's hard. Because we know the world needs you. And we know that through us, people can see you and see your love. So Lord, may that be so. Help us live courageously for you. In your name, amen.